and welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about the afterlife's elaborate plan for trolling you so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read The Five People You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Album. Joining us to discuss this journey through heaven's endless waiting rooms is Chelsea, the product of a Christian education. Hello, Chelsea. Hello, Kate and Renata. Hi, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I would also like the record to reflect that I wanted that intro to be Chelsea as an internet rando who doesn't have the qualifications to be here. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but then, (laughs) but she's actually like more qualified to be here than Kate or I are. So we didn't (laughs) want to say that because it seemed mean, (laughs) unnecessarily mean, as opposed to the kind of necessarily mean, I think we're about to be toward Mitch album. Listen, that's, he deserves it. He's that's a powerful what I, That's what man. I said. I said necessarily mean as opposed to being unnecessarily mean to Chelsea. Oh, this good point. This book definitely deserves all of the necessary meanness that we are about to heap on it. I really was surprised by how much I did not like this book. Um, I picked it up. It's physically short. It's like a small looking book. I was like, this will be a breeze to get through. And I... I expected it to be sort of like cloying life lessons and I was like I can tolerate that but I wasn't prepared for this truly upsetting vision of heaven that like truly this was on par almost with the Christmas sweater for just sort of unintentionally upsetting things like I'm haunted by this vision of heaven and And although it was short, every individual sentence and every paragraph just dragged, where these are chapters that are, like, two pages long, and yet I would stop halfway through and be like, oh my god, I can't believe this is still happening. It's a paradox, and I truly felt like reading this book sent me to hell. So, I think I've said before that sometimes I'm very concerned. I mean, we've both said before that we're concerned that we're dead inside now, and that you know other people like this is the worst book i've ever read and we're like it's fine um so i am part of me is happy every time we read one of these books and i'm like oh i've lost the will to live because (laughs) it's a reminder that i'm not dead inside yet (laughs) i wasn't i but now part of me is dead inside from this book and part of me is stuck forever at strangers weddings because of this book oh my god i can't fucking deal with it yeah. So, so this book, I mean, I think a lot of people maybe have read it or like were forced to read it, and I'm so sorry. Um, but if you are not familiar, this is the story of a man named Eddie, and surprise, he dies and goes to heaven. If you couldn't get that from the title, if you can call it heaven and not just several circles of hell that descend further and further down. No, the further I, into the piece of shit we go. I cannot stress enough how unpleasant this vision of heaven seems to me. It is across the board, just everything about it. And also it's one of those things where logically, if you think about it for too long, it doesn't make sense. It falls apart the second you try to apply logic to it. Yes. Um, but so so Eddie, I, I will say also the first chapter I was like, oh, this is this isn't what I was expecting. I'm a little bit interested in this actually, because it starts off with Eddie being alive, and you get this countdown to like Eddie's gonna die by the end of the day. Eddie's gonna die in an hour, and I was like, okay, I'm you know, 
I mean, of course, we did know that from the title, but that was sort of interesting. And Eddie is the maintenance man for Ruby Pier, which is kind of like a low-budget amusement park. And he he maintains the rides. And we just got a little bit of a description of the park and the, you know, the kind of janky rides that are in it. Uh, he's 80 now, or in his 80s, and he's been doing this for many, many years. He grew up right outside the park and his father worked there before him and at this point in his life he's alone and his only real friends are like the other people who work at the park all of the children who go to this park regularly inexplicably love him and follow yes. him around and yes and i thought this was so strange and i do buy i guess this is the kind of like cheaper local park where if you live nearby maybe you would go pretty often versus like where i lived we would have to go to like to to six flags and it was a few hours away and we would maybe go like once or twice a summer certainly i was not on a first name basis with any of the maintenance people at six flags but i guess if you're going there often maybe you would get to know this person but I don't know. That that right off the bat, I was like, really? Yeah, the fact that none of these parents are concerned that their four-year-olds are on a first-name basis with the 83-year-old maintenance man who's been working here forever and has to use a cane to get around and cannot quit his shitty job because how else is he going to survive? The fact that uh, the kids are on a first-name basis with Eddie the repairman is not at all concerning or strange and it's like the it's extra weird because it wraps around to the end of the book in a really disturbing way i mean everything about this book is disturbing but like not only is it does it wrap around in a disturbing way but it wraps around in an i'm gonna use the word again inexplicable way because it doesn't it doesn't connect the way it's clear mitch album wants it to But before we get to the fifth person that Eddie meets in heaven and how it connects to these children at the park on a first name basis with him, uh, Eddie has to die. So we find out that a teenager who has just gotten his license came to the park and was riding one of the tower drop rides. And for whatever reason, for whatever bizarre reasons Mitch Album has come up with, he was uncomfortable carrying a key ring, so he took the car key off the key ring and put it in his pocket. Just one single key. And while yeah. he was on the tower... Yep. Sorry, Kate, I just interrupted you. But when he said, yeah, it's the one single key, I'm like, well, where the hell is your house key, dude? Like, what? <laughs> They explicitly say that he takes it off and leaves the rest of the... So he has it on a key ring. But then he takes it off Hold up, that was actually in the book where he takes it off and puts it in his... Yes. Yes, Yes, because I also thought that was super weird. There's so many details in here where it's just like, are you an alien Mitch album? Like, literally, or are you a demon from hell who who doesn't understand Earth customs and he wrote this book just to trouble me? Because here's the thing. (laughs) Here's the thing. You didn't need any of that. You could have just been like, oh, he just got a a new car um, and he learned to drive and he had a key in his pocket and the key fell out. 
Okay, and I buy that. That's what I thought happened. I didn't realize there was this whole bullshit with the taking the key off the ring and then leaving the other keys, but inexplicably keeping this one key. Yeah, in his, in his like, jacket pocket and then tying the jacket around his waist and then going on a ride. It, yes. It's like one of those Final Destination movie Rube Goldberg type elaborate death scenes. It's like, Except what? those make way more sense. They do, they do. We cannot get Caitlin started on horror movies. We must continue with the, <laughs> with the hellscape of this so yeah there's a there's a key that's all you need to know there's a key there's a key that was fallen and lost yes and it fell down into the guts of this ride and now it's a couple days later and it has been wearing away at the cable so the car one of the cars at the top of the ride catches and starts to fall and he has he tells the other maintenance worker like run up and get all the people out and then release the car so it'll come down and we can figure out what's wrong with it but once he takes after the other maintenance guy goes up and they take the people out eddie is looking at the mechanics and realizes that if they release the car, it's going to fall. It's the cable's going to snap and it's going to fall into the crowd. So he starts yelling at people to get out of the way because the people, the maintenance guys up top can't hear him to not release the car. And a little girl who he had previously made a pipe cleaner animal for has fallen or something on the area that the car is going to fall down in. So he goes to shove her out of the way and the next thing he knows he's in heaven yes and so this is an ongoing thread is that in heaven in like literal your paradise afterlife no one will fucking tell him if that girl died or not so he's oh like my God, that's he's hard. like he's going through and every person that he meets he's like yo did that girl die and everyone's just like you'll figure that out later yeah, like we have a different life lesson to learn right now and it's like hell again I cannot stress enough He's in hell. I'm in hell from reading this book. Yeah. It's just, it's not great. So uh, as I'm sure the title would uh, indicate, Eddie's going to meet five people in heaven and each of them is going to teach him a life lesson, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to learn in the afterlife because you don't really have any time to then like, you know, work on... to proactively change the life that you are no longer alive to change. Again, you can't act on this advice. It's just kind of like, oh, I guess, I guess this explains my life in retrospect. Yeah, he is getting to watch like a a weird um like clips reel of his life. Here's what you could have done. Too bad you didn't, and too bad your life completely sucked, dude. And, well, and a lot of it also was more just like, oh, here's what here's what you didn't even know that you did, and now now you can't do anything about it. So the first person he meets in heaven is a person he killed and he never like knew. <laughs> like it's sort of he sort of killed yeah, him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he didn't like murder this person or anything and it's it's sort of tenuous, but like it seems clear that this person is like holds him somewhat responsible for his death. Yes. He was Which a- again, this is hell. You arrive in hell and someone's like, "Hey, when you were a kid, you killed me." <laughs> <laughs> So the, the first the first person is someone who Eddie refers to as the blue man, um, who is a person who worked at the sideshow at the pier and worked at many other sideshows before that because he was a very nervous person and had very bad anxiety. And to deal with it, the doctors made him take silver nitrate. And as he got more nervous about taking the silver nitrate, he took more and more of it. And then it turned his skin blue. 
Um, so he got this job working in different sideshows. And when Eddie's like, I don't can't remember, like what, five, six years old, uh, he gets like a baseball. Eight. Yeah. Uh, he's yeah. a kid. Yeah, he's a little kid and he gets a baseball for his birthday. And one of his his brother throws it to him or he throws it to his brother and it bounces out into the street and he runs after it and a car comes around the corner and almost hits him. It's raining. And so like the car has to skid out of the way. The blue man is driving the car and he keeps driving, but he's so nervous because he almost hit this kid that he almost hits someone else and then like has to skid out of almost colliding with someone else and ends up like skidding down this alleyway and then hits a, a parked car and has a heart attack and dies. Yeah. By the way, explicitly, so when he when Eddie first gets to heaven, the blue man is like explaining things. He's like, You're in heaven and like you you're gonna meet these people and he's giving him like the run through and then Eddie asks him, what killed you? And the blue man looks at Eddie and smiles and says, you did. Again, you just got to heaven. You killed me. Here you go. And with that, we are in an episode of The Good Place. (laughs) Like, right there. Boom. Yeah. Like, what a nightmare. Yeah, and I I mean, I do agree with Kate. It does seem um, questionable. Like, he certainly didn't actively kill this person, but he's just, like, driving home the idea that, like, things that you do have consequences that you can never know about, such as killing me. And, like, his his lesson is, like, your, your, I don't know, fucking life is a balance and some people have to die for other people to live and, I don't know, all this other bullshit. The other thing he does explain, though, which is wild and is the thing that really doesn't make any sense if you stop to think about it is that the five people that he's going to meet in heaven have been they're all in their own personal heavens of their choosing and they have been waiting since their deaths to confront eddie as one of his five people yes and so the impl- there is some talk that like time is different and maybe they haven't perceived it to be like 80 years but, but the the implication here is that they have only touched the life of one other person in existence and that their afterlife is on hold for only like that. I mean, that is incredibly demoralizing if you think about it, that like of all of the people in all of the world that you could end up with. And it gets even it gets weirder too um, later on with the, the second or third person. Yeah. Um, but you know that that you you get one choice or not even choice you you have one chance to make an impact on one person's life and that's it is it clear is it clearly defined that they're only waiting for him like could he also be waiting for other people like i know eddie's only getting five unique people but could you be like in more than one person's top five i don't think that was ever made clear if you only if you only have the five people to me, it seemed like you went to your personal heaven and then were just yanked back. Like, Oh yeah, I got to go explain my life to this guy to whom I was only tangentially interacted with, but everything's connected because of the butterfly effect. And I have to explain that to him. And then I go back to heaven and then I get pulled back to explain it to this guy. And then I go back and I mean, it just, Maybe I read it wrong, but that's what I took from it is that you're either 
it wasn't really explained is what I took from it. It could go either way where the explanation where you literally just sit in one place where time has no meaning and just wait for somebody to show up so you can say, well, here's how your life affected mine and then, you know, zap off into the ether or you go to a different heaven and then just kind of go back and forth whenever people need you to explain something to them and then disappear and then you get called up again to explain it to somebody else. I mean, who knows? With the world building in this book, it could really go either way. The point is, I hate it. Yeah, well, I hate it, and then we're about to get to the part that I hate even more, which is yeah. Because, that... um, real quick, before we move on, does this address at all the, like, problematic nature of sideshows and the way these people were treated? For, like, yeah. one sentence it does. And then it's like, but also, this is the place I choose to imagine as my heaven, because it was the place I felt, like, safest, was being in a freak show. Really? That's, that's your heaven? I hate it. Yes. Because I do think that is an interesting history that Mitch Album did not pursue. Like, not this fictional person, but just in general, the history of, like, people with disabilities who were, like, in these traveling acts. And look it up later. It's interesting, but not as portrayed by Mitch Album. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and there's the part where it makes the point that, uh, like, as the blue man, and that's... No, he says his name, but that's what Eddie calls him, is the blue man. And as he's passing on, then his skin goes back to its regular shade and all of his skin problems just clear up. So it's like, well, I guess heaven is a place where disabilities and any type of deformities don't exist whatsoever. And that's never problematic in the slightest. Mitch Albom, side-eyeing you. Yes, so it's all whack, and now let's get even more whack as we meet the second person who Eddie sees in heaven, who is the captain who was Eddie's, well, captain. Commanding officer. Yes. In the army in World War II. Yes, in the Philippines. This was the part, until we got to the end, I was like, this is awful, and it won't get, like, it can't get worse than this. Like, the next two people after this one and their scenarios, I was like, fucking whatever. And then, like, the last one happened. But before then, I hated everything about this. I don't like war movies. I don't like war media. I don't like graphic depictions of people on fire and dying and war and yet here we are in the middle of this book so when eddie was in world war ii his unit was captured by by like four random soldiers who seem to have gone somewhat rogue yes and they were kept hostage and treated very badly and made to work in this coal mine and one of the people one of the soldiers who he who was in his his unit got very sick And they executed him after, like, beating him up and making fun of him. And just, like, we're terrible. And then there's all this, like, low-key racism in the background, too, unsurprisingly. Which also, unsurprisingly, pops up many, many times in the book whenever the very few POC are mentioned. Mm -hmm. So he's stuck here, and when they finally manage to get out, we get a great description of him beating them to death with rocks yes 
It, this was Eddie's, like, master plan to get them out of captivity. It was literally, he pretended to juggle, or I guess juggle he did rocks. juggle rocks, but Juggling then he stopped rocks. juggling yeah. and used the rocks as bludgeons. It's it's a bit graphic for heaven. Yeah, it goes pretty into detail about how he had, like, blood and brains all over his hands, and I didn't need to know that. Nah. But so they, they run off the, the guys that are left. I think it's, like, him, two other guys, and the captain, and him and one of the uh, other guys. One other guys, because the, the there were four of them, and one of them died. Which was sort of the breaking point for them to be like, oh, now this guy died, so the rest of us have to like really get into gear and get out of here. He and, the, and one of the other guys are setting the like encampment on fire while the captain goes to get a truck, and it looks really abandoned, but when they set this one building on fire... Eddie thinks that he sees someone, a child in one of the buildings. He just sees a shadow, a child's child sized shadow in one of the buildings. So he like runs into the building to try and save this child and like goes a little wacky and won't leave, even though he is literally on fire. Mm -hmm. And then he gets shot in the leg and pulled out. And when he wakes up, he's in a hospital. And the captain explains to him that he was the one who shot Eddie because he wasn't leaving the building and he believed very firmly in leave no man behind. So he like shot him and then pulled him onto this truck. But then Eddie's real mad at him and like beats the crap out of him in heaven. Mm -hmm. But then he talks about how in order to help them safely get down the road in their new stolen truck, he ran ahead and stepped on a landmine and was again in graphic detail exploded and this is where he's been waiting for eddie to show up he has been waiting in this field in the philippines where he was graphically exploded by a landmine that he stepped on and i just had to put the book down and sit with that for a second yes and <laughs> and he what? explains he's like yeah you can pick where your heaven is and like i just like it because now now it's not war in this field it's just sort of like a nice field now but also re like really like really yeah. not it's not great so Eddie feels real bad about how he, he just beat the captain up for shooting him because he got all exploded while trying to save them. Uh, and we get a little bit of a window into uh, Eddie's PTSD, which is real bad. His leg never heals right. So he's got a, he walks with a limp and then with a cane for the rest of his life. He doesn't reconnect with his army friend once he gets back to America. He's real depressed and doesn't want to do anything. All of his dreams of becoming an engineer are are gone. And that's the second person Eddie met in heaven. The third person Eddie meets in heaven is a he's he's in he's on a snowy mountainside and he sees a diner like a, a classic like 50s-esque diner and uh, when he looks inside, he sees his father and he loses his shit and starts like banging on the window screaming. But it's not his father who he's there for. It is the proprietress of this diner who is a woman who looks vaguely familiar with him, but he's never met before in his life. And she explains that she is Ruby, for whom Ruby Pier was named. Uh, her husband brought the, bought the pier and turned it into an amusement park. And, and and it used to have a big sign with her face on it. Yes. Which is how he recognized her was from the sign. Yes, because he's seen pictures of it. 
because there was a big fire and the original sign and entranceway was burned down and her husband got real sad and she was like, I'm never going to another amusement park because of that. And and her husband got real sad and also real broke because she's like, I love that he was a risk taker, but because he was a risk taker, the park was uninsured. <laughs> Which is like, what the fuck? <laughs> that, was, that was my second favorite detail of this story we get to the my first favorite detail at the very end but i have to say that was my that was a very close number two for my favorite detail in this book like i mean again mitch you can just say it wasn't it was uninsured like you don't have to go into like he was a risk taker and so and so because of that but i love that he was a risk taker like did you or put like two extra seconds of thought into it and come up with a way that it could have burned down and they still could have been broke. That would make slightly more sense. Yeah. But in this section, we get a lot of background on Eddie and his deadbeat dad, who was like very abusive to him when he was growing up and neglectful and was more interested in drinking and playing cards and working than spending time with Eddie or his brother, Joe. And, and this is like a weird fucking sticking point for me. Eddie, when he had PTSD and he was discharged from the hospital, he moved back in with his parents and he was really depressed and he was sleeping a lot. And one day his father came home from work and started yelling at him, like, get up and get a job, get up and get a job. And he went to punch Eddie and Eddie grabbed his arm before he could hit him in the face. And because of that, because Eddie, quote unquote, raised a hand against him, he literally refused to talk to Eddie for the rest of his life, including at his own wedding. Yes. His dad, I mean, his dad sounds like a real dick. Yes. And he is a real dick from all of the actions that we see, including the ones that Eddie didn't even know about. Yes. And so here's the truly wild thing about Ruby's Heaven is Ruby's Heaven is is the diner where she worked when she was a teen. Sure. Like, that's definitely where I want to spend my heaven is like the subway where I worked in high school. (laughs) Subway sandwiches, not a train place, obviously. Um, I totally read. I totally heard that as a as a train. Yeah, I was a I was a teenage train conductor. I'll just I'll just escort myself out of this podcast right now. <laughs> Bye, guys. Podcast over. Take the train. Get out. Um, no, she, so she's at this diner, but Eddie's dad is in the diner, and the diner is full of like other dead people. And Ruby's like, I just wanted them to have a safe place to be, but they're they're all in heaven. It's all people who have been in some way damaged by Ruby Pier, and not only like emotionally damaged, but they're physically damaged as well. So you have people that are sitting in Ruby's heaven that look like extras from The Walking Dead. Like there's one girl with like her face slashed and like people missing limbs and like, so it's basically just a bunch of Walking Dead extras hanging out in this like heaven diner it's real creepy is what I'm trying to say. Yes, I hate it. We also get some more background on Eddie's parents. Um, Eddie talks, from Eddie's point of view, he remembers getting a phone call from his mother that his father was in the hospital. There was an accident and he fell in the ocean and he almost drowned and he has pneumonia now and he collapsed at work at the pier. And he assumed that because that he like drunkenly wandered into the ocean and that's what gave him pneumonia. But instead we see 
that what actually happened that night is that his best friend, his father, Eddie's father's best friend came to their apartment for help. And Eddie's mother tried to comfort him. And when she went to go change into, uh, she's in house clothes. She goes to change in his street clothes to go find Eddie's father. This friend tries to assault her and Eddie's father comes in and gets real mad and goes to, once the friend runs away, goes to attack Eddie's mother for this. And then I guess she explains and he runs after the guy to attack him instead. And when he falls in the ocean, Eddie's father jumps into the ocean to save him. Like, it truly sounds like the kind of story that a child makes up to be, like, I mean, like, a more gritty, R-rated version of of a kid being like, oh, well, I was late to dinner because I was mad at my friend, and then I pushed him, but then I realized that was wrong, so then I had to go get him out of the ocean, but then I, like, fell, and I couldn't come to dinner, and, like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's, like, the kind of story that you always hear the first suspect in a criminal procedural tell explaining why he could not be the murderer when in fact he was the murderer and it's like it's supposed to make us feel bad for eddie's dad and like you know have a change of heart and make eddie have a change of heart for how he's treated his father his father who literally stopped talking to him when he protected himself from getting the shit beaten out of him yeah he didn't even hit his dad back he just stopped himself from getting hit Yes. And this is supposed to be the story that makes Eddie think like, oh, I had my father wrong the whole time. Yeah. And like, here's the thing. I don't know. Controversial take. I I think that in some cases, like, you don't need to forgive your family. Like, some things yeah. are unforgivable and oh we can... Absolutely. This was... Th- no, this... Okay, this chapter just got to me the most. Just it's specifically because of that. And I know, like, you guys have done, um, like, self-help-ish books before, and I, one of the threads that you hear in those episodes is that there's usually a nugget of truth within each one. It's just buried under layers of layers of bullshit. I mean, I, I will say that, like, there are things within this book that you could t- take away from at a very abstract, like, oh, yeah, sometimes you need to let go of your past grudges and your past angers because it's holding you back from a lot but it doesn't work with this book because well number one eddie's already dead and number two just in particular there are some things you don't have to forgive just you just don't have to forgive everybody in your life and i hate that that's the lesson that we're constantly being told is that you need to forgive everybody who was ever shitty to you you're not entitled to my forgiveness for reasons x y and z and that was the big thing that just got to me about this chapter like even if he did forgive him what what good is it gonna do him because he's already dead he can't make peace with it in life and it doesn't seem that they are allowed to spend time together in heaven yeah Yeah, (laughs) if if you're gonna make this whole point about why it's so important that eddie forgive his dad why the hell do we have to spend this time in ruby's creepy undead subway and not just have eddie's dad come up to him and explain to him what happened I mean, it would have been a shitty scene, but it would have made more sense if the dad himself is explaining all this. But no, we get some woman who's been dead years before Eddie was even born, probably. Yeah. She was alive because she was alive when Eddie's father died. Oh, shit. You're right. 
And it's so stupid. Like, it's her husband was in the same hospital room as Eddie's dad. And so she saw Eddie's dad try to climb out the window of the hospital, apparently because he wanted to go, like, see his family one more time or something. But, like, he didn't make it out the window. But apparently the fact that he tried was, like, very moving and not extremely alarming and weird. But it also doesn't make any sense. Like, it's, it's a pointless thing to put in there because we already know why she's connected to Eddie's dad. She explains that it's because he was hurt at the park and the park hurt him emotionally and physically. And that's who she sees in the afterlife. Like, it doesn't make sense to then add in this other like. And oh, also, she was there when this happened. Like, it's, it's a useless detail. It's like Mitch album covering his ass in a way that he doesn't have to. It's stupid. This whole book is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Because also, like, she's in heaven. Like, you could just be like, oh, I was in heaven and I saw it because I'm like an angel or something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of unnecessary details, there was also that detail he threw in about how the nurses who were taking care of Eddie's dad came in and saw him dead and then covered it up and said that he died of natural causes because they thought they left the window open and that's how he died and so they covered it up and said oh he died of natural causes and because they didn't want to get in trouble I was like why are you throwing this detail in there Mitch Album? that is so dark Mitch Album. these these nurses are covering up this man's death and you're just like oh yeah it's a throwaway detail no that is not the definition of a throwaway detail I don't understand yeah After Eddie says goodbye to Ruby, he meets the fourth person he's meeting in heaven, who is his wife, Marguerite. And I do have to say, I was expecting the book to pull a bait and switch on me because Marguerite is mentioned by name a couple times earlier in the book. And then in the last chapter, in the Ruby chapter, there's a bit where she's explicitly or Eddie's wife is explicitly referred to as Eddie's wife, Eddie's wife two or three times before they clarify that it is in fact Marguerite. And I was 100% waiting for a bait and switch there where it was like, oh, like Marguerite thought that he was too hard to live with after the war and he had to marry someone else. But no, it was just a really bizarre way to refer to her several times before we've been properly introduced to her. Uh, But Marguerite is his wife. It is a girl who he met on the pier when they were teenagers and decided immediately he was going to marry someday Marguerite's heaven is going to other people's weddings constantly. Strangers' weddings. Strangers' weddings. It's this like further proof that this is hell. Exactly. It's this like eternal banquet hall where because at first Eddie doesn't see her and he's just opening doors and ending up in wedding after wedding, like weddings of all uh, religious traditions and all ethnicities and. But all of strangers. And they are strangers to Marguerite as well, like, explicitly. She just, this is her, her choice is to go to strangers' weddings forever. And as they reunite, we learn that uh, her, their story is that she was too nervous to have babies. Yes. And I mean, I guess that maybe was just like, was an old timey diagnosis. And I don't know. It was very weird, and so they'd never had biological children, and they were kind of grumpy about it for a while, and then they decided they were going to adopt, 
And right the day of Eddie's birthday, one year, he and his friend go to the racetrack to gamble and they're about to adopt a baby and Eddie wins a windfall of money and then like calls her to tell her like, oh, hey, I'm at the racetrack and I just want a bunch of money for the baby. And she's like, I told you not to go gambling today. So she's mad at him. So she drives over to the racetrack. But while she's driving, some teens on the bridge decide to be edgy and throw bottles off the top of it. And one of them crashes into her car and causes her to get into a terrible accident. Which is, again, right out of Final Destination. And I just read that thinking, why? Why is any of this necessary? It's not. Spoiler alert. Yeah, and you, you know you know that bottle teen is going to have to meet Marguerite in heaven. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Absolutely. But And then it's oh another god. like unnecessary fake out, because I was just like, oh, she died in the car crash. But she yes. doesn't. She's just oh in the hospital god. for a long time, and then they're kind of bankrupted by the hospital bills, and then they're just like sad for a long time, and then she gets cancer and dies like 10 years after that. Oh my god, yeah. yeah, and they're so bankrupt from all the hospital bills that they cannot afford to adopt the baby that they wanted to, and they get even more sad, and then she gets a brain tumor and dies. Which the car accident is given several pages as it takes us through all the mechanics of it, it takes us through the teens on top of the overpass, and they're throwing the bottles, and it explains that they robbed a convenience store earlier, and it goes through all these mechanics only to a fake out with us and say lol no she's not dead they just run out of money to adopt the baby that they wanted and then she dies of a brain tumor psych and then later on they bring like he brings up like oh like maybe we could still adopt a baby and she's like now we're too old now but she dies at 47 so no they really weren't but whatever book so yeah her heaven is weddings forever And he goes to a whole bunch of weddings with her. But eventually it is time for him to go to meet his fifth person. And holy fucking shit. Hang on, before we get to the fifth person, because we do have to talk about it. I Just one more weird, weird thing from his time with Marguerite is that he talks about how, like, you can't sleep in heaven. So time is different in heaven. Which, first of all, if you can't sleep in heaven, it is hell. If I if I can't take naps in heaven, fuck. But anyway, he can't sleep, but time is passing. He's spending a long time with Marguerite, and he wants to spend to be with her forever. But of course, he has to go and meet this fifth person. But then, like, what's unclear to me, and is after he's done with his five people, then can he go back and be with Marguerite forever, or does he have to go back to his own individual private heaven, aka hell? See, that's where I start to get confused because if it it turns into one of those things where it's like, okay, so like if everyone gets their own private heaven, if Renata say your heaven is a cat cafe and my heaven is, I don't know, like a movie theater showing different horror movie marathons, I clearly, you know, loving you deeply as one of my best friends would want you to be in my heaven. And I'm sure you would want me to be in your heaven. I hope you would want me to be in your heaven. Of course. And Kate, guess what? In heaven, you wouldn't be allergic to cats. (laughs) Like, it just... Unless unless we're secretly in hell. Uh, 
<laughs> so how how can I be simultaneously in my heaven and your heaven? And like, how is how is Ruby's heaven filled with all those other dead people? Are they in yes. two places at once? Are they also in their own private heavens? Or have if, they been like co-opted to have to be in her diner heaven? And yeah. if I'm going to be in my heaven and your heaven and like my mom's heaven and whatever, like what if there's somebody who I passed on the street once and I touched their life in such a way that I now have to explain be one of their five people? Am I then in like an additional space? Are there five of me or what? Like how there just there was not a lot of thought put into there, this heaven system. There are sequels to this. And are I, you kidding me? Yeah. The, oh, there are sequels. Yeah, and, and there I, are spinoffs. <sighs> Many spinoffs. I almost wonder if it explains this, but I also I definitely don't want to read it. I wonder if it would say on the wiki page because there's there's one that has like a real lazy title. It's just like the next five people you meet in heaven. Oh, yeah, no, the, the the sequel to this is the next person you meet in uh, heaven. And also, I think okay, at the end, this may be an explanation. This may not, but. Um, at the end, I think it mentioned that Eddie's personal heaven is the pier where he met Marguerite. Or the dance hall. Yeah, yes. it's the same band that's playing. But that, okay, so my question was, coming out of that was, okay, so is that Marguerite the same one that's, like, going through multiple <gasps> weddings all at the same time? Or is it, like, just a shell of her that's in the heaven with him that just continues to dance with him to the same song that they danced to the night that they met or is she enjoying all those weddings without her husband because they kind of had an unhappy marriage and she's like well I get to enjoy other people's weddings while that whole that didn't clear anything up it just made me even more confused yeah, and, and who are all the, it. who are all those brides and grooms in heaven i just are read people I, that marguerite touched probably not yeah, right <laughs> i just read the summary of the next person you meet in heaven and i i don't know if you heard me gasp because it is truly terrible and i hate it but then i know one of the other ones is the first phone call from heaven does somebody yes. call home to explain <laughs> wish I'm going to look that up real quick, and then we will talk about the fifth person, who, again, is truly the worst. Um, I mean, the person isn't the worst, the situation is the worst. Yeah, the sequel is from the point of view of the girl Eddie saved, if I... Oh my god, spoilers! Yes. Anyway, the fifth person that Eddie meets in heaven. Yes. When I read this out loud and realized what was happening, I whispered aloud, what the fuck, and then I, like, out loud in my house, I was just saying, what the fuck? And then I kept saying it as I was reading. Just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? I never got over it. I'm not over it now. I'm upset. I'm very upset about it. I, at this point, up to this point in the novel, I had figured the last person he met in heaven would be the little girl who he tried to save. Himself. Yes. Somehow. God. Somehow instead it would make sense if it were god it would be kind of cool if it were god yeah but instead what we get is the fifth person that eddie meets in heaven is a little filipino girl named tala who is the girl who died in the fire that he started in the philippines during the war and has that actually was a person and you killed a child you tried to save a child in your last moments in life and now in death you come across the child you killed once again psych and what the fuck and this child 
despite it being heaven, despite her being explicitly there to communicate with Eddie, speaks very broken English. And also, again, despite it being heaven, she is covered in scar tissue from her burns in heaven. Scar tissue, like it appears to still be like the actual burn wounds. Like it's not even like it does not appear the way that it's described to be like, oh, she it's healed over scars. Like, no, it it is the still is still on fire, basically. Again, which supports the argument that this is hell because it's hellfire burning her. Yeah. What the fuck? And so she in her like broken English, like again, it's heaven. You can, like you can't get a babblefish in heaven. What? Uh, unless this is hell. <laughs> this is hell. And so she is like trying to communicate to him that like I'm that girl and like I died and I'm your fifth person that you met in heaven. And it's like it's okay. I'm in heaven now. And um. And then she makes him wash her in the river, and then all of her burns come off. And it's, I, I'm so upset. It's, yeah. I mean, oh, it's, it's upsetting on many levels. It's upsetting on the level of having to read that text. It's upsetting on the body horror level. It's upsetting from the point of view of the idea that, you know, oh, this little... Filipino girl is teaching this white man a lesson about how he should have lived his life or could have lived his life by forgiving him for killing her and making him feel better about things. Like, why? Like, she died horribly. She's been in heaven for, like, 60 years covered in... And again, I get it. Time is different there or whatever. But, like, so grim. I'm so upset. It, it was it was not it was terrible it was terrible i i don't even i don't even have a pithy joke about it because it was just fucking awful yeah i got nothing except that was awful that's it that's all i got <laughs> oh except that then so throughout this again because Eddie's in hell, he keeps asking people if he was able to save that little girl from the falling ride and no one will tell him and he says something oh he he asked Tala the Filipina girl like did I save that girl I felt I felt her hands and she's like no those weren't those weren't that girl's hands those were my hands because I was pulling you to heaven what the fuck he did save the girl though he did yes but um does Tala tell him that directly or does he have do we have to find it out by the epilogue when it mentions that when she dies she meets Eddie and and we're like, oh, yeah, I guess she did survive. Why the five people couldn't say that before they launched into their entire life story, I don't know. But did Tala say that? She, she does did? say. She says oh, that okay. you pushed her away. And he goes, but I, I couldn't have pushed her because I felt her hands. And she's like, no, those were my hands as I pulled you to heaven. White savior man who I've come here to alleviate your fears about you being a terrible person in your life. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's I think after good. I read the part about the child, like, still being on fire, I just kind of blacked out. I was like, well, I no longer remember what happened in this chapter because I I am incapable of processing anything after reading this. Um. So, I, anyway, I learned just quickly from reading the summary of the next person you meet in heaven that Annie is the girl. She does live... Um, but she um, is, like, badly injured, and she her life is sort of 
damage from that, and then um, she dies on her wedding night, apparently, and so has to go to heaven on her wedding night. Yes. Um, It describes it as, like, a fateful accident on her wedding. Like, what what in the world? (sighs) Who... Who is this for? I don't know. Like, it really... I, again, I had fully expected this to be some sort of, like, cheesy, like, platitudes about, like, everyone matters, and now I'm like, nothing matters. This, I don't, I, I can't process this vision of the afterlife at all. I don't understand who would find this uplifting, because it is truly, I've said upsetting a hundred times, it is truly upsetting. I, I'm, I'm so... I can't believe that this is a book that is, like, such a huge bestseller, like... Ninety-five weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. A book about burning children and yeah, ninety-five weeks. Ninety-five weeks. I hate it. Let's move on to our dramatic reading, so you can get just a a real direct dose of this hate in your ears, listeners. Let's do that. So I'm going to start by reading a little bit about Eddie's death. Oh, the one thing I will say is we're about to meet uh, Dominguez, one of Eddie's co-workers. And if you wondered if the audiobook narrator had vaguely racist accents for all the people of color in this book, you would be correct. All two of them? (laughs) Yeah, all two of them. Gross. Cool. Love it. Yeah. Dominguez reached the upper platform. He did as Eddie told him, holding Willie as Willie leaned toward the back of the cart to release the restraint. One of the female riders lunged for Willie and nearly pulled him off the platform. The crowd gasped. Wait, Eddie said to himself. Willie tried again. This time, he popped the safety release. Cable, Eddie mumbled. The bar lifted and the crowd went, ah. The riders were quickly pulled to the platform cable is unraveling and eddie was right inside the base of freddie's free fall hidden from view the cable that lifted cart number two had for the last few months been scraping across a locked pulley because it was locked the pulley had gradually ripped the cable steel wires as if husking an ear of corn until they were nearly severed no one noticed how could they notice Only someone who had crawled inside the mechanism would have seen the unlikely cause of the problem. The pulley was wedged by a small object that must have fallen through the opening at a most precise moment. A car key. Don't release the cart, Eddie yelled. He waved his arms. Hey, hey, it's the cable. Don't release the cart. It'll snap. The crowd drowned him out. It cheered wildly as Willie and Dominguez unloaded the final rider. All four were safe. They hugged atop the platform. Dom! Willie! Eddie yelled. Someone banged against his waist, knocking his walkie-talkie to the ground. Eddie bent to get it. Willie went to the controls. He put his finger on the green button. Eddie looked up. No, no, don't! Eddie turned to the crowd. Get back! Something in Eddie's voice must have caught people's attention. They stopped cheering and began to scatter. An opening cleared around the bottom of Freddy's freefall. And then Eddie saw the last face of his life. She was sprawled upon the ride's metal base, as if someone had knocked her into it, her nose running, tears filling her eyes, the little girl with the pipe cleaner animal. Amy? Annie? Ma, 
Mom! Mom! She heaved, almost rhythmically, her body frozen in the paralysis of crying children. Ma! Mom! Ma! Mom! Eddie's eyes shot from her to the carts. Did he have time? Her to the carts. Whoop! Too late. The carts were dropping. Jesus, he released the brake. And for Eddie, everything slipped into watery motion. He dropped his cane and pushed off his bad leg and felt a shot of pain that almost knocked him down. A big step. Another step. Inside the shaft of Freddy's freefall, the cable snapped its final thread and ripped across the hydraulic line. Cart number two was in a dead drop now. Nothing to stop it. A boulder off a clip. I'll stop there. And, and again, the stuff about the rides was maybe my favorite part of this book, and it's still <laughs> bad. <laughs> All right, so uh, Chelsea, I think you've got our next dramatic reading, and you're going to take take us to heaven, <sighs> if we can call it that, if we must call it that. Yeah, let's go to some really fucked up version of heaven. So what I'm reading from is the chapter, the fourth lesson, where Eddie runs into his wife, Marguerite, and we find out that her life is endless stranger weddings. The bride waits here, she said, running her hands along her hair, taking in her image but seeming to drift away. This is the moment you think about what you're doing, who you're choosing, who you will love. If it's right, Eddie, it can be such a wonderful moment. She turned to him. You had to live without love for many years, didn't you? Eddie said nothing. You felt that it was snatched away, that I left you too soon. He lowered himself slowly. Her lavender dress was spread before him. You did leave too soon, he said. You were angry with me. No. Her eyes flashed. Okay, yes. There was a reason to it all, she said. What reason, he said. How could there be a reason? You died. You were 47 years old. You were the best person any of us knew. And you died and you lost everything. And I lost everything. I lost the only woman I ever loved. She took his hands. No, you didn't. I was right here, and you loved me anyway. Lost love is still love, Eddie. It takes a different form, that's all. You can't see their smile, or bring them food, or tousle their hair, or move them around a dance floor. But when those senses weaken, another heightens. Memory. Memory becomes your partner. You nurture it. You hold it. You dance with it. Life has to end, she said. Love doesn't. Eddie thought about the years after he buried his wife. It was like looking over a fence. He was aware of another kind of life out there, even as he knew he would never be a part of it. I never wanted anyone else, he said quietly. I know, she said. I was in love with you. I know, she nodded. I felt it. Here, he said. Even here, she said, smiling. That's how strong lost love can be. And, oh boy, I was mad at this. <laughs> yeah, because, whatever, I can't get into yeah. it right now. I, yeah, I, I don't know how long of a tangent this will take us on, but it, like, okay, so the reason that, the reason that I read this book, um, I read it when I was in middle school, 
was because it that was when it came out um, originally, and it was a big hit with, I know my mom read it for her book club, and I went to a Christian school that they used a lot of this book uh, for, we had, we had weekly Bible study, um, and they used a lot of this book to teach from, um, or at least they would explain or take passages from it and use it in our weekly devotionals. And this, this passage in particular just reminded me of all of those weekly Bible studies about, you know, what was essentially just telling you don't have sex or you'll get pregnant and die. Um, and it, it was just, I just have a, a particular bone to pick with passages like that, but um, especially this one, because it, I mean, this was sort of the not subtext of going to Christian school was that you were supposed to find your one person and they were supposed to be the one that God had created just for you. And it's like this idea that, I mean, it's a good idea, like in theory that like, oh, there's your one true love. And I mean, we all buy into that on in some level that's why we love disney but just the the whole thing of well that's the one person and you're never ever supposed to move on from that person and even here marguerite saying that memory becomes your partner and you can never just like move on from life and like find somebody else and that once your person's gone that's it you're never going to find happiness ever again it's whatever i've got a lot of bones to pick with with shoving this at kids when they're 13 and impressionable but this in particular was like every crappy bible study i ever went to and now that i'm older it just rankles more than it did when i was 12 and 13 and 14 and didn't have the reasoning to argue back at it now i'm just like mm, no uh i call you out on your bullshit yeah it's it's whack yeah I'm going to take us home with the epilogue, which, again, the part about the theme park was my favorite part, and so rather than expose you all to more of the horrors of heaven, I'm taking you back to Earth. The park at Ruby Pier reopened three days after the accident. The story of Eddie's death was in the newspapers for a week, and then other stories about other deaths took its place. The ride called Freddy's Freefall was closed for the season, but the next year it reopened with a new name, Daredevil Drop. Teenagers saw it as a badge of courage, and it drew many customers, and the owners were pleased. Eddie's apartment, the one he had grown up in, was rented to someone new who put leaded glass in the kitchen window, obscuring the view of the old carousel. Dominguez, who had agreed to take over Eddie's job, put Eddie's few possessions in a trunk at the maintenance shop, alongside memorabilia from Ruby Pier, including photos of the original entrance. Nicky, the young man whose key had cut the cable, made a new key when he got home, then sold his car four months later. He returned often to Ruby Pier, where he bragged to his friends that his great-grandmother was the woman for whom it was named. Seasons came and seasons went, and when school let out and the days grew long, the crowds returned to the amusement park by the Great Grey Ocean, not as large as those at the theme parks, but large enough. Come the summer, the spirit turns, and the seashore beckons with a song of the waves, and people gather for carousels and Ferris wheels and sweet ice drinks and cotton candy. Lines formed at Ruby Pier, just as a line formed someplace else. Five people waiting and five chosen memories for a little girl named Amy or Annie to grow and to love and to age and to die and to finally have her questions answered. 
why she lived, and what she lived for. And in that line now was a whiskered old man with a linen cap and a crooked nose who waited in a place called the Stardust Bandshell to share his part in the secret of heaven, that each affects the other and the other affects the next, and the world is full of stories, but the stories are all one. That's our takeaway, which, uh, that's not what I took away from this book. Yeah. Like, I can kind of get behind that last paragraph, except for, like, the hellish heaven that it forces you to imagine. But the idea, like, oh, yeah, we're all interconnected, and, like, what you do affects others. Yes, sure. On board with that. Why Why does Eddie have to wait in his maintenance outfit for, like, however many years for this to happen? Fucking why? Yeah, see, my takeaway was the fact that the kid whose car key cut the cable spent the rest of his time going to the pier bragging that Ruby was his grandma. That, that in fact, was my favorite detail mm-hmm. from the book. That was my big takeaway because all the others were like, uh, no, I'd rather have nothing of this. Everything is terrible. And, uh, yeah, heaven is, is hell and we are all in the bad place. This is This is a rejected script for the good place. I'm... 100% sure or American Horror Story either way Some, that was my takeaway somewhere in there mm-hmm. oof alright uh, let's play some would you rather would you rather ride on Freddy's free fall or spend a night at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza which is of course uh, where Five Nights at Freddy the video game and book series takes place so here are my questions if I am staying the night at Freddy Fazbear's, am I staying the night the way that you have to in the video game where you're in the little room and you have to stop the monsters, the animatronic things that have been possessed or whatever for coming after you? Or am I just, like, chilling? I, I, I don't... I'm mad that I asked this question because I'm furious at having to think about this. <laughs> Like, when you start describing what happens in Five Nights at Freddy's, like, my my chest got tight. I was like, oh, no, no, no. So, uh, just for the sake of not having to think about this anymore, even though I am the one who brought it up, uh, no, it's chill. It's just totally chill. It's chill. I'm going to stay at Freddy Fazbear's <laughs> because I'm afraid of heights. Yeah, I also second that. I hate heights and I hate shady carnival rides again with final destination i've seen final destination three way too many times so even if the animatronic creatures at freddy fazbear's were coming to life and trying to murder me i would still take that and shitty pizza over uh freddy's free fall any day yeah i mean i like rides um and i'm assuming in this scenario since we've made the Freddy's pizza place chill. I think the ride is also not going to kill you. It's just the ride. But I, I've been craving pizza recently. I haven't had any in a while, so I'm gonna go there just for the pizza. And in in the style of Mike Rabiglia, I will eat pizza until I fall asleep. I'll enjoy it. Even if Freddy's free fall didn't kill me, it would probably just scare me to death anyway. So yeah, I'm still taking the demon bears and pizza. Oh boy. Okay, I can't. I can't talk about Freddy's anymore. Um, <laughs> would you rather read fan fiction of this book from the POV of one of the people Eddie met on his journey through the afterlife, or read fan fiction of the book after by Anna Todd, which is itself fan fiction? So we're getting real incepty here. Yeah. I think it would de- 
and okay so what it basically boils down to is this which one is gay yes number one which one is gay number two which i'm gonna feel like is not the christian one number two like i'll fucking read anything that some fic authors that i like right like i even if i don't know the fandom if it's someone who i know is a very good author i will read it anyway that's a good caveat to have that's a good that's a good throw to put in there it's like well if if it's a shitty fandom but written by an author that i like that's a really good way to get around it okay we'll say it's a good author a good author has inexplicably written for you both uh five people you mean heaven fan fiction and after fan fiction yeah well i'm gonna go with after because i feel like the characters on the sideline i feel like what's her name and what's his face were the least compelling people in that book correct and I think that a good author could, you know, write like a good introspective character, whatever, for one of those other characters. And then also maybe they're queer. So we'll go with that. I am going to second what Kate said for Kate's reasons precisely. I would like to read the fan fiction of Five People You Meet in Heaven that is a good place crossover and that does reveal that this is, in fact, all the bad place. Excellent. Ah, uh, yeah. That's uh, yeah. That's what I want. Or uh, American <laughs> Horror Story crossover, and they are all in the murder house. And I've I've just been thinking about that because I re rewatched Murder House recently. But I'm thinking you can't not convince me that this book is parts of American Horror Story rejects because there's burning children and people dying and their souls never moving on. So. But yeah, that was that's a good one. Good place fan fiction crossover is definitely something I would snap up in a second. Yeah, I've never watched American Horror Story. If if it puts Lady Gaga in the fan fiction, I maybe would check it out though. Uh, other or Stevie Nicks. Other than that, I'm not interested. But I am interested in knowing if you would rather eat at Ruby's Heavenly Boxcar Diner filled with the disfigured souls of those who were injured in amusement park accidents, or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is of course the fictional restaurant from Christian Minkle the movie that serves only steaks and cakes. Well, I mean, obviously I'm gonna choose Steaks and Cakes, uh, in addition to them being, like, just a really good sponsor of our program. I just really like to spend time by myself sometimes when I'm eating out and I don't want to be in like a big crowd of other people so I'd like to just have like a little corner booth by myself where I've got my steak and I've got my cake and I don't have to worry about like some weird rich lady's guilt diner (laughs) yeah I mean like of course my loyalty is always strong to our sponsor and sometimes we have these scenarios and we're putting steaks and cakes against something that's like really appealing and I'm like oh I don't know this is kind of a tough decision uh but uh absolutely steaks and cakes over like the body horror hell diner uh yeah for the first time ever I am probably gonna go with steaks and cakes and that's funny because every time I listen to this podcast and it comes to this question I'm always like oh I'm gonna choose the other option over steaks and cakes because I don't like steak nor do I like cake and all and the other option always seems much more appealing uh, but in this case, hang out with people whose flesh is rotting off and deal with Ruby trying to explain her life to me versus just like sitting in a corner by myself and sort of nibbling at a piece of cake. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that any day. Not a piece of cake, a whole cake. Uh, pe- well, a piece of a whole cake. I can 
live with that. I mean, you but can, yeah. you can cut is, it any way you want. They're serving you a whole cake. As long as, <laughs> as, long as cakes, whole cake every yeah. time. As long as they're serving me cookie cake, then uh, unless that doesn't count as cake because it's technically a giant cookie, which it probably wouldn't. But still, I would rather take whatever bland cake and whatever badly cooked steak they're going to shove me over the the hell diner. Just get get me. You could not get me into steaks and cakes faster. <laughs> Yes, exactly. In this one case. Yes. Okay, let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest some stuff to read instead of or in addition to the five people you meet in heaven. And I just have to be really clear, what the fuck? Please don't read this. Please don't. Don't. Read it. <laughs> don't. It, it actively upsets me thinking about how many summer reading lists I've seen this on when I was working as a bookseller. Act, yes. Oh. Um. But so my, I went with a very afterlife theme for my recommendations for this episode, and I'm going to zero in on two of them. The first of which is Town, which just got nominated for a butt ton of Tony Awards. I've been a fan for years. I'm a Town hipster. I'm really not. I just want everyone to fucking go and see this and love it because it's so good. It's so good. I'm going in like, well, I think I'll actually already have been by the time this episode airs. But the cast recording from the NYTW production that I saw in 2006 is out there and you should listen to it. And they're recording the Broadway cast recording and it will hopefully be out soon. And it's just a very good show. And obviously also Anais Mitchell's original concept album is also out there. And you should listen to that too. Obviously. I do want to just interject real quick with your theater hipsterism with... Some tangential, I guess, readers' advisory, but also a, a plug for our Patreon, uh, where we send out a monthly newsletter with a pop culture recap of what stuff we've enjoyed over the past month. And this month, I wrote about Beyonce's Homecoming, and I didn't write very much about it because I was just like, oh my god, everyone already knows Beyonce's Homecoming. Like, just let me throw in a couple quick lines about how, like, obviously Beyonce's Homecoming on Netflix is amazing. And then my mom texted me and said, like, I think I saw Homecoming on Broadway in 1967. Does that make me a hipster? <laughs> and I was like, this, uh, I was like, it makes you something, but I, you definitely did not see Beyonce's Homecoming on Broadway in 1967. Yikes. And then she was like, oh, I'm thinking of the Harold Pinter play. And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, that's great. So right. I do recommend Beyonce's um, Homecoming. And the, that's like heaven if heaven is just like i arrive at like a perpetual coachella to get to watch that like uh, that's way better than any of the scenarios in this fucking book i don't know going to perpetual coachella definitely sounds like my own personal hell well in heaven i'd have like a really good seat probably i don't know Um, So the other recommendation of mine that I'm going to zero in on for this episode is, and I've recommended this before, San Junipero, which is an episode of Black Mirror that deals with similar themes as this, except better because lesbians. Uh, Well, queer women in general, one of them is bi, but it is on Black Mirror, in Black Mirror, and uh, it is streaming on Netflix, and if somehow you're the only person on the planet who hasn't watched it yet it's me i haven't watched it it sounds scary i haven't watched it either you're not the only person but that 
that definitely piques my interest, so I will have to check that out. I, Kate, I would like to say I did watch Gravity Falls because you recommended it so many times, and uh, yeah, definitely up there on one of my greatest decisions ever made. It <laughs> is excellent. Oh my god, I love it. I've rewatched it maybe three or four times at this point. <laughs> nice. I've made two kind of two separate lists, and one is things that like are sort of afterlife-themed and that I genuinely like and would genuinely recommend. And then I have a few things where I'm like, if you are a person who actually like this, like, what else are you looking for? And I think you maybe are looking for The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, which I also did not like, but at least was not as actively, appallingly offensive as this to me. So there's that. Um, I'll have the whole list on the website, but my other thing that I want to single out is uh, the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman, a classic comic series, but that, especially because I read it as a teen, I think it, like, really, I really enjoyed its concept of death and the afterlife and, like, the importance of stories on your life, and it uh, isn't fucking as appalling and upsetting as this, even though it's by some people considered to be a horror comic and this is technically considered to be inspirational literature so nothing matters um and then i also had a bunch of other recommendations that i can give to renata and kate to put on the website but i wanted to zero in on um so there were three anime in particular that i thought of when this title came up and the first one of those is angel beats which is a series about uh, a bunch of high school kids who have died and gone to a purgatory that is like high school, so basically hell. Um, And in order to move on, they have to come to terms with the shitty things that happened to them in their lives. And um, so it's basically the same themes of this, except done better question mark yeah it's just it's better um there's a trigger warning for ableism on this because one of the girls in the show uh was disabled in life but is not in death and there's just kind of some troublesome discussions about disability that you know yikes um but then the second one i had was um anohana um which is about a group of friends who when they were in elementary school uh one of their group members uh, died in a tragic accident and they've all grown up in the shadow of that and split apart and years later the ghost of that friend comes back and wants her friends to reunite um, so that they can grant her a wish and help her pass on to heaven and um, if you want a show about coming to grips with loss that you can actually resolve in your lifetime and not in some BS afterlife um this one is really really good um it's currently on crunchyroll as is angel beats i believe um it is as as of the time we are taping this episode and then the last one is death parade which i gave kate and renata the link to the theme song of this which everybody needs in their life anyway just listen to this and never ever touch this book because after you just I'm number one you never need this book in your life but number two that theme song is bitchin and everybody needs it um but death parade basically has it takes place in a purgatory and it's um I haven't seen this one but it's always recommended to me uh it's 
run by arbiters of death who decide if you go to heaven or hell um, and if you're reincarnated and I've been told it's excellent um, and it's kind of it's it takes the concepts of this book and actually makes them hell <laughs> so uh, yeah if you want a real take on the craziness of this book then uh, watch Death Parade which is on Hulu actually hmm. yeah uh, so we'll have all those on our website, worstbestsellers.com, and some other ones we didn't get around to talking to. What's everybody's candy pairing for this? My candy pairing is a generic grape claw machine lollipop. I don't want this. I got it at a carnival probably, but at least it's over quickly. Mine is a banana flavor saltwater taffy. It's something that's associated with something pleasant, like the beach or an amusement park, but then it's like a, a horrible, unnatural flavor and you reject it immediately. And mine are uh, Tootsie Rolls because they are everywhere, much like this book was everywhere. And uh, instead of eating one and having a tasty good time, uh, it leaves a terrible taste in your mouth and won't go away no matter how many times you try to brush it out of your teeth. Ugh, gross. I just want pizza. Uh, let's move on to the Rock, Paper, Snicked, our favorite game, of course, in which Kate says who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and Chelsea can choose which most enhances the book or can choose paper, which is to leave it as is. All right. Uh, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson was in this book, he would probably swoop in and save Amy slash Annie from being crushed, thus also saving Eddie's life and curtailing this entire book before it begins. Mm, nice. Um, if Wolverine were in this book, he would briefly pass through heaven without talking to anyone, only to return to Earth renewed with the new power of hot claws. And then instead of being this book, you're reading the recent Marvel Comics event, The Return of Wolverine. As much as I like that idea, I'm going to go with Kate's because it means this book does not exist. Yeah, it's, it's a dream we all wish could be true. Uh, what do we all think the moral of the story is? I would say the moral of the story is don't lose track of your keys. <laughs> My moral of the story is uh, life's a bitch and then you die and then that's also a fucking bitch. <laughs> Yeah, uh, mine is nothing matters, uh, everything is terrible, but maybe in the afterlife you can use your time-transcending abilities to be a god-tier troll. So maybe that's the one shred of hope we can all hold on to. Oof, I'm, I'm hoping. Mm -hmm. All right, um, next up, of course, is Duarte's Corner, when usually my cat Duarte will weigh in with his opinions on the book, as he already has a few times during this episode. But um, today, actually, we are turning this over to Chelsea's cat, whose name is I don't know what, Chelsea. Uh, the cat that's talking now is Numa, and she would like to enlighten you with her views. You know what, Numa? I have to say, I'm actually sort of relieved that Midge Album didn't mention whether or not there were any pets in heaven. I mean, of course, we all know that all dogs and all cats and all animals go to heaven, um, but I just really don't trust Midge Album to treat them with respect. He'd probably no, do something terrible to them that I would never be able to unsee or unread. Yeah, be glad you dodged this bullet. Yeah. For sure. All right, do any humans have any closing thoughts? This book was terrible. 
Yeah, I mean, we've been on a short run of books that were sort of better than I thought they would be, and this was much worse than I thought it would be. And I truly hated it, and I'm upset, and I don't ever want to go to heaven if it's like this. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, same. Just watch The Good Place. Don't bother with this. All right. Well, if you want to come find us on social media and maybe give us some reasons to live... Um, we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash worstbestsellers. We're on Twitter where we're at worstbestseller with no S because I put the S in my pocket when I rode a theme park ride and now it is wedged in there and it's, <laughs> it's going to kill someone soon. Uh, if, you, if you see that S, please grab it. We also have a Goodreads group that is best accessed via our website, which is, of course, worstbestsellers.com. You can subscribe to us on Stitchers, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the regular podcast places. If you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. Uh, If you don't rate and review, you are going to be subject to a long lecture about how your not rating and reviewing has ruined my life forever. And I will be waiting for you in heaven to talk all about the intersection of our paths. We don't want that. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. If you're unfamiliar with Patreon, you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like update our equipment, pay our editor, commission artists to make logos and merch designs for us. And uh, in return, there are some perks for you, like the newsletter that Renata mentioned and a couple other things. Yeah, you can get you can get my hot takes on Beyonce for three dollars a month. <laughs> And as I mentioned, merch, we do have merch available. If you go to our website, worstbestsellers.com, and click merch, it will take you to our store where you can get all sorts of different designs to wear our podcast on your body. Uh, Finally, if you'd like to come follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at Renata Snacks. If you'd like to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at 14across. And I am on Twitter as well, although I don't post as much as I lurk, and I am at albatrosstam14. All right. Well, Chase, Chelsea, thank you for joining us and sharing your your expertise on the nature of heaven. <laughs> Anytime we are not talking about this book that you want to have me back, I am okay with that. Uh, we'll, we'll call you from heaven. <laughs> Uh, well the first thing i'm gonna ask is what the fuck about this book and you're gonna be like sorry bro that wasn't my heaven so (laughs) uh full yikes um we'll be back in two weeks with uh interview with the vampire by anne rice uh, another book dealing with the afterlife of sorts kind of yeah the very miserable afterlife yeah (laughs) Where you're sad and you commit arson all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually kind of not that different from this book. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.